SME traders require a quick turnaround time, something which banks cannot deliver. Then there's this added requirement of collaterals. This creates challenges for MSME traders creating difficulties in scalability. MSMEs contribute to 50% of India's exports and despite the resources accessible, India is an import-heavy country. Technology can provide an immense boost to the MSMEs. The potential is huge for MSMEs in the global trade. Hi everyone, welcome back to one more podcast with Analytics Insight. This is your host Rangoli and today we are in conversation with Mr. Rahul Nath, Chief Product Officer at Drip Capital. Rahul brings 15 years of experience in the product strategy and operations domain. He holds an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And prior to Drip, he was a product strategy lead at Google. And today we will be discussing on how MSMEs can leverage technology like AI and ML to unlock this potential. Hi Rahul, it is my pleasure to be in this conversation with you today. Hey Rangoli, very nice to be here and thank you for having me. Thank you Rahul. So Rahul, could you give us a brief about Drip firstly? Yeah, sure. So Drip Capital is in the business of providing trade financing to small and medium businesses globally. Now that might feel like a mouthful to someone who's not deeply acquainted with what trade financing is and and what this, this means. So let's break that apart a little bit. Trade financing has pretty much been around for as long as international trade has been around, right? And the crux of it is in any trade transaction, there are some kind of payment terms that exist between buyers and sellers. Uh, that means I, as a buyer, will pay you 30 days after I receive goods from you or 60 days after you ship the goods to me. Now, what happens more often than not is that these payment terms are not perfectly aligned between my buyers and my sellers. So I'm buying raw materials from someone at, say, 30-day terms where I need to pay them 30 days after I receive the goods. And I have 60-day terms with my buyers. So I get paid 60 days after they receive the finished order from me. That leaves this, this gap in between where I need to pay my suppliers before I get paid by my buyer. And this gap is what we refer to as the working capital gap. Now, the Asian Development Bank estimates that globally, this gap is about $1.7 trillion a day, right? Now, this gap so far, historically, has been serviced by traditional lenders, by big banks. But there are two challenges there. First, uh, traditional banks provide secured financing, which means that you have to pledge some kind of collateral to be able to get access to this financing. Second, the documentary requirements for these banks are, are fairly onerous and fairly extensive. Both of these are big challenges for SMBs in particular. A lot of SMBs might be asset lights. They don't have a lot of assets to pledge to banks in the first place. And even if they do, they might not meet the documentary requirements that banks have. So 40% of trade, trade financing application rejections tend to come from SMBs uh, as a result. And even when SMBs are able to get access to this funding, the, the kind of limits that they are able to get might not be sufficient to meet their, their growth goals as a business. So this is where alternative financing providers like Drip Capital come in. Now, our offering is differentiated on two counts. First, we provide unsecured financing, which means that you don't require any collateral to get started with us. And second, we do this in a technology-enabled uh, manner, which means that we leverage a lot of third-party and first-party data signals to form our risk management profile. And therefore, our documentary requirements can be significantly easier to navigate for small and medium businesses. So as of today, we have two major product lines. We have a receivables financing product, primarily for exporters based in India and Mexico, which means as an exporter in India or Mexico, 
you can provide us with an invoice for a transaction that you've just completed. And instead of waiting for uh, your buyer to pay you for that invoice, we can front that money, front a portion of that invoice to you. And then we get paid when your buyer ultimately pays. We have a second product called payable financing, which is primarily for importers based in the US, where you as an importer can have, have drip pay your suppliers on your behalf and you pay us when you ultimately get paid by your customer. So just to give you a few stats, to date we financed about $4 billion worth of invoices. We work with 6,000 buyers and sellers globally across over hundred different countries. Uh, we saw really good growth in 2022, about 25% growth in our book size, 65% growth in our customer base. And beyond all of this, I think what's really motivating for me personally is that this is not just an attractive business opportunity. There is room for significant economic impact here as well, right? Uh, with easy access to credit, our customers are able to expand to new geographies, take on more business, hire more staff, invest in new product lines, and meet their payment obligations. So long answer to your question, but hopefully paints a picture of what we do and why we're excited about this space. Okay. Well, thank you, uh, Rahul, for giving us this uh, introduction about Drip Capital and sort of, you know, you give us a peek into its goals and visions as well. So now that we have a fair idea about uh, Drip Capital, so on that note, could you tell us how does Drip harness the power of data-driven technologies to support and grow its businesses? Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, a key differentiator for us in this space is our tech-first approach, especially to risk management, right? And mm -hmm. our, our basis for doing this is our proprietary risk management platform that enables us to ingest, assess, and then action risk data signals from a variety of different data sources, right? So today we rely on over 200 different signals from global and regional data sources, from uh, private and public data sources, from first party and third party data sources, right? And what this helps us do is create a fairly detailed credit profile of our prospects as well as our customers and efficiently manage risk across our portfolio. So this technology first approach uh, enables us to do a few things for our customers. First, it allows us to extend our offering to a broad base of small and medium businesses. Uh, from businesses with, with a fairly small turnover to some fairly large businesses globally as well, right? We are also able to get to our decisioning a lot faster than a lot of traditional lenders. Uh, for example, we can action, we can decision most new applications in a five to 10 day period. And when we receive invoices, we're able to disburse funds within typically within 24 hours of receiving that invoice. So that makes us a lot faster. And we know this is something our customers deeply value. It also significantly reduces the documentary requirements to get started with us, which as I mentioned for small and medium businesses is again a, a big value add given many of them might not have extensive documentation to start with. And then lastly, the way our solution is set up makes it very global and scalable. So I talked about the fact that uh, you know, we, work with, we work with buyers and sellers in a hundred plus countries. We have physical presence only in about three markets today, but based on this setup that we have, we are able to extend this to buyers and sellers in a large number of countries globally. As of today, we process about 200 invoices every day, and we're building capacity to do a lot more at scale. 
Oh, well, thank you, Rahul, for such a comprehensive answer. And on that note, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges you see with leveraging data to its fullest potential at DRIP? And how are you addressing some of these challenges? Yeah, so data is obviously critical to our business, right? It's talked about our risk management platform, and that's the, the crux of our uh, trade financing business. And all that relies on the quality of data signals that we have. While there have been a lot of interesting and positive developments in this area over the last couple of years, I think there are still a few persistent challenges that need to be addressed. Broadly speaking, I would classify, I would think of sort of three sets of data challenges. The first is a lack of standardized data sharing mechanisms amongst the different actors in this ecosystem, right? So mm -hmm. if you think about the global trade finance ecosystem, it's a fairly complex set up. There are a number of different players from banks to insurance companies, to shipping lines, logistics operators, uh, customs, uh, and then providers uh, like ourselves, right? Now, unfortunately today, there is no single internationally recognized standardized global data transmission infrastructure to facilitate the flow of data amongst these different entities. So that makes the, the exchange of information really hard. And that is unfortunate for customers because they end up providing a fair amount of information to each of these entities individually through the course of their engagement with these businesses, right? Um, so what it means for businesses is they need to provide uh, duplicate information to multiple businesses. They need to undergo KYC and verification processes across these number of different entities. Uh, and even then, these different entities might still only see slivers of of data of these businesses, which then affects the kind of pricing and access that these businesses are able to get in terms of the services offered by these providers. So thinking of DRIP specifically and some of the challenges that we've encountered so far in working with data, first, it's taken a series of bespoke partnerships and relationships with multiple data providers uh, where, to be able to get access to the kind of data that we have now. We made a lot of progress here, but it's been time consuming, it's been resource intensive, it's been fairly slow, right? And that's just mm -hmm. the nature of, uh, of the ecosystem as it stands today. Second, right. we've also seen uh, a fair number of gaps in uh, the type of data that we can access. So for example, in markets like the US, which are more, more matured, there are a number of data aggregators where you know a single partnership can give you access to, uh, to thousands of uh, part of partnering institutions uh, in that with a specific aggregator. Now, such aggregators are are still relatively nascent in emerging markets. So those integrations can take much longer in those uh, developing markets. And then thirdly, even where uh, data sources are available, they might not have the same level of quality and stability in some of the emerging markets. So uh, we we tend we we end up dealing with more unstable data sources and therefore having to do more work on our end to make sure that the data stays current and fresh and uh, and is uh, actionable on our part. So um, that was the first major challenge in terms of uh, you know the lack of a standardized information exchange infrastructure. The second big challenge has been the adoption and legal recognition of electronic trade documents. So while there's been progress, and a trend towards e-documents, which makes the flow of information a lot easier, the adoption of these solutions has been relatively slow. And we need more ecosystem buy-in um, to drive that, uh, to promote that. Because unless there's, there's a critical mass of adoption across the various actors, these solutions don't really deliver the value that they can actually deliver. 
And then lastly, uh, there is a lack of you know, common global identifiers across the different entities within this ecosystem. So when information is actually where information exchange even happens, um, it's not easy to figure out if it's the same entity that two parties might be talking about. So insurance companies, for, for example, might have a unique ID for, for specific businesses, uh, whereas banks might have another unique identity and so forth. So there's, there's therefore the need for increased documentation, there's more friction on the customers to provide different types of identifiers, and then there's mapping required to figure out that this is exact, actually the same business that we're talking about across different entities. So that's a third part of the challenge. Um, you asked about how we've been navigating some of these challenges at DRIP. Some of the things that we've been doing are, one, I talked about some of the partnerships that we forged with, uh, with major global as well as regional uh, technology and data providers to be able to access different types of services around KYC checks, onboarding journeys, pr uh, providing an overall seamless customer experience as part of this, this journey. Uh, in the US, we, for example, partnered with uh, with a partner called Onfido, which is a digital identity verification provider that enables our customers to complete their identity verification in a matter of minutes, as opposed to you know scanning attested copies of identifying documents or other sensitive information. So that's just one example of how we're trying to make uh, the, the journey as seamless as possible uh, through uh, partnerships. Okay, thank you, Rahul. And since we are talking about data, that actually makes me think on what are your views uh, on what are the biggest emerging data trends that you see in the world of international trade? I think the single most important and exciting trend in this space is around data digitization, right? Mm. So despite some of the challenges I talked about earlier, there is clear recognition that there is immense value in digitizing data and enabling sharing of that data across different players. So for example, the, the International Chamber of Commerce uh, had estimated that there's about $270 billion of additional exports that can be unlocked um, through data digitization. And this can bring additional value in terms of standardizing regulation, improving supply chain visibility, more investments in R&D, and reducing costs of doing business, right? So I think there's a McKinsey study that suggests that businesses could save as much as $6.5 billion in both direct and indirect costs um, and enable you know, 30 to 40 billion more of international trade um, through just digitizing uh, electronic bills of lading, right? Now, uh, there will be a number of efforts that are already underway in different parts of the world uh, along this trend. Uh, so, for example, uh, multiple countries in Latin America, as well as the EU, are looking at mandating e-invoicing as a process. Uh, I talked about electronic bill of lading. That's something that the UK passed the bill on last year um, to legally recognize um, electronic uh, bills of lading and bills of exchange. Right, uh, And even stakeholders like freight forwarders are leaning into this trend. Um, there's a, the, the International Federation of Freight Forward Associations, for example, or FIADA, uh, is a global body of logistics and shipping companies that's working towards the cause of raising awareness of, uh, of EBLs uh, and the greater use of standardized uh, shipping. Uh, so, um, and there are several efforts uh, underway across the globe uh, that, are, that are supporting this trend of data digitization, right? So for example, digital invoicing or e-invoicing is seeing more uptake across Latin America as well as the EU. 
and more and more countries are looking at mandating uh, e-invoicing. Electronic bill of lading that I talked about earlier saw, saw a big boost with the UK legally recognizing EBLs as and uh, as um, as a means of uh, as a as a valid trade document, right? And even stakeholders like freight forwarders are leaning into this trend. Uh, so, for example, the International Federation of Freight Forwarders Association, uh, which or FIATA, which is a, a global uh, body of logistics and shipping companies. Um, it's working towards creating more awareness of uh, the advantages of shipping standards and electronic BLs. And there are an increasing number of fintech companies that are offering digital solutions for trade-related data, which makes job the job easier for players like us that are ingesting and using this data uh, towards trade financing and, and decision-making. Yeah, well, absolutely, Rahul. And uh, on that note, uh, given how quickly technology evolves, how do you think, how can regulators promote a healthy, innovative ecosystem in this space? Yeah, good question. Thank you. So as with other industries, I think regulators have a key role to play in fostering a healthier trade ecosystem. Uh, specifically, there are three or four major areas where I think regulators can play a really influential role. First is, I talked about this as a challenge, is the legal recognition of, uh, of electronic trade documents, right? Um, okay. This is an area where, for example, there is a there is the model law of electronic transferable records or MLETR, which aims to enable the legal use of electronic trade documents. Right. However, there are only a few countries today, Singapore, Abu Dhabi, Germany, and the UK, that have implemented MLETR legislation. Now, this is an area where wider adoption of this legislation can significantly help with efforts around data digitization as well once they're legally recognized, right? A second area I think where uh, regulators can, can play a big role is creating more avenues for collaboration and innovation among the participants in the trade ecosystem, such as drip capital, for example, right? Uh, a good example here is the International Trade Finance Services Platform or ITFS, which is an auction-based electronic platform for promoting cross-border trade financing especially for small and medium businesses. Now, this was created under, under the supervision of the International Financial Services Centers Authority, uh, which is a regulatory body in India. And DRIP is actually a participant in this platform through our recent partnership with Vyana Trade Exchange. And what this does is it gives millions of SMBs access to DRIP's trade financing services. Sorry, I said, I'll, I'll repeat that last sentence. It gives, uh, what it does is it gives a large number of SMBs in India access to DRIP straight finance services. And while the current offering is primarily focused on Indian SMBs, the intent is to be able to extend this to international uh, SMBs as well. And then lastly, I think uh, where, where regulators need to step in and perhaps do more is promoting fair trade practices and providing sufficient guardrails for businesses to grow and thrive in this ecosystem. So during the pandemic, one trend that um, that was very painful for a lot of exporters was the the massive massively high cost of shipping containers. Right at its peak, uh, shipping containers cost about five times what they cost today. And we heard this from our customers. Right, we heard the pain. Many customers were reconsidering taking on orders at all. Others were considering other uh, creative ways of you know shipping. Uh, without having to incur these these exorbitantly high rates, 
So to that end, um, the um, Ocean Shipping Reform Act or OSRA that the US implemented is a step in the right direction to promote fair trade practices by shipping companies. And I think we need more such guardrails to support the growth of this ecosystem. Surely, Rahul. And on that note, I think it brings me to the end of this amazing interaction that we've had today. And on final note, could you give our listeners a brief upon uh, some goals and visions of a drip capital? Sure. So if I reflect on our mission statement, right, our mission is to make global trade easy and accessible for smaller businesses around the world. And while we've started with trade finance as our first focus area, our vision is to really build the next generation trade facilitation platform for small businesses. So while we'll continue to focus on our core offering and continue to improve our risk management capabilities, continue to improve our customer experience in terms of both onboarding and servicing, we're also starting to think more holistically about trade facilitation. So how can we bring the power of technology and data to bear in the role in simplifying trade and bringing more value to our customer base, right? Uh, we're doing some really interesting explorations on tools and services that we think can be uh, can simplify the lives of our customers in a big way. And I'm personally really excited about some of these initiatives. So more to, more to come on that front over the course of this year. Definitely. And I wish you all the best, Rahul, for the same. Thank so you. honestly, that's wonderful, Rahul. And I believe you've given our listeners a sneak peek into how technology can provide an immense boost to the MSMEs uh, and as we know the potential is huge for MSMEs in the global trade. So yes, thank you so much Rahul for connecting with us today and letting us dive into your views and it was a pleasure to have you on board with us today. Thanks again for having me Rangoli. Yes, and I must say the interaction was absolutely insightful and our listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you so much everyone for being a part of this and I will see you with another great interaction. Bye.